Hello, my name is John Brink and we are on the brink in Prince George, British Columbia. Prince George, the capital of Northern BC. It's a beautiful day, early spring uh, in Prince George. Beautiful outside. There is no better place in the world than Prince George, at least in my opinion. It's a beautiful setting here. Central British Columbia, about 800 kilometers north of Vancouver, for those of you internationally that are watching, you must see it. It is a fabulous place. I have a great guest today. It's also a friend. It's Greg Briere. Greg, welcome to the show. Well, wow, thanks for having me. So, tell me something about your past. I believe you were born in Regina. I was born in Regina, Saskatchewan. Okay. So, uh, born and Regina raised... is in... Saskatchewan. Saskatchewan. Yeah. Northern Saskatchewan? Or? Southern Saskatchewan. Southern Saskatchewan. So, Regina okay. is the top city in Saskatchewan, contrary to popular belief. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, born and raised in Regina. Uh, you know, played football in, uh, in Regina for five years after high school with the Regina Rams. I was fortunate enough to be a part of uh, five national championship teams for the wow. Canadian Junior Football League. Actually, four, sorry. Yeah. We should have won five. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, football kind of brought me to BC. What so position did you play? I played defensive back. So I yeah. couldn't catch, but I could hit. So I played on the defensive side. I always thought that those were, I'm not saying that you're small, but both were less like these guys. No? What are you trying to say? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, football is a great sport because it has yeah. all shapes, all body types. So, yeah. uh, you know, you've got guys that are six foot four, 300 pounds. You've got guys that are five foot eight, you know, 150 yeah. pounds, right? And, and the best, right? Yeah. So it doesn't really matter. Like yeah. there's always a spot for you depending upon, you know, where you're at, if you're athletic. Right. So the position I played, I was actually, you know, a decent size for my position. Yeah. Uh, you know, five foot 11, I was around, well, used to be really skinnier, so about 170 pounds. Yeah. Um, but, you know, fit the position quite well. So, right. uh, so yeah, so I played defense and, uh, you know, that kind of, after playing for five years, I was 22, I wanted to, you know, do something different. I yeah. wanted to look at opportunities in football. Yeah. And uh, university started coming and knocking. So I was looking to go to either University of Alberta, University of Saskatchewan, and then had an opportunity to go uh, tour the campus at UBC. And if you ever, you know, if you ever been to UBC, the second yeah. you walk on there, you're from Saskatchewan, you're like, oh my God, yeah. look at this place. It's beautiful. It's like an oasis. And yeah. uh, they had my just, daughters went there, yeah. yeah, like they had just come off winning the Vanier Cup, which is the university national what championship. What year was that, Greg? That was 1998. 1998, yeah. yeah. I'm kind of dating myself here, but. Yeah, yeah. Um, 1998. And, uh, you know, I went there hoping that I'd be able to, you know, win a university national championship. Yeah. Um, you know, played there for four years. Yeah. Uh, met my ex-wife there. Yeah. Uh, she was on the volleyball team. Uh, so, you know, we kind of hit it off and she's from Prince George. And that's what kind of led me here. Yeah. And and so that brought you, so you were at the university, but did you did take in university? Oh, you're asking all the hard questions. Well, I wanted to get into commerce. Yeah. So I wanted to get into business, but um, I was not the best student. So uh, I eventually majored in English. Yeah. Uh, I didn't complete my degree uh, because I really wanted to get into the workforce. Uh, I spent four years at UBC. I played for four years on the football team. Yeah. And then I really wanted to get out into, into working, right? Yeah. Um, English really wasn't my passion. Yeah. So I really didn't see a career in it. 
And uh, you know, after you know, my fourth year, I decided to just uh, move to Prince George and took a marketing position here in Prince George when I first landed. So, so that's, uh, you met your future wife in, in, at UBC and she was from Prince George. Yeah. That then brought you to Prince George, It right? did, yeah. Were you familiar with Prince George before that? I'd been here once. Okay. I'd been here once and I think I spent you know, two days here maybe. I went bear hunting and shot a bear and you know, toured around town. Yeah. Uh, my first impression of Prince George was driving down, you know, over the Simon Fraser Bridge and the old Moose McGillicuddy's was there and yeah. the big moose on the side of the road and just yeah. kind of like, <laughs> you know, so I was kind of like, well, where am I? Yeah. Um, you know, but, you know, after, you know, spending a few days here, you know, certainly reminded me a lot of Saskatchewan. Yeah. Um, you know, living in Vancouver didn't have the same feel as living in a, in a community where people kind of know your name, you know, yeah. you, uh, you run into them in the grocery store, they want to say hi. You know, yeah. Vancouver really, for me, wasn't that place. No. Prince George felt a lot more like home. Yeah. Um, How many people in Regina? Well, at the time, I think it was probably around 180,000. Yeah. Uh, I think it's probably close to over 200,000 now, but, yeah. you know. About half the size, uh, double the size of Prince George. Yeah, it's about But still size. not a big, big town, right? Uh, it's grown a lot in the last 20 yeah. years, but yeah. it, it's still, you wouldn't consider it a large city, right? Yeah. It's, it's yeah. relatively in a medium sort of city range. Um, it's got lots of, you know, the amenities that you'd want, but it still yeah. has that small town feel. Yeah. So you came to Prince George, uh, you had then your girlfriend that was still not your wife, or maybe she was. And you we, we, actually got, we actually got married in university. So. Oh, at the university. Yeah. Wow. And, and uh, then you came to Prince George, you were looking for a job in marketing. Right. What was it? I should do marketing for the casino. So I started for doing... For the casino. Tell yeah. us a little bit about the... They have a casino in Prince George. I know I drive by it lots of times, but uh, you know. <laughs> tell us a little bit about the casino. What well, do you do in the marketing in the casino is that... Uh, uh, you know, because it looks out to me that all the marketing already has happened because the whole parking lot is full. Well, there's lots of different things you can do in the okay. marketing in the casino. So okay. this is also, you know, 20 years ago, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, the casino was located in downtown Prince George in the Ramada. Uh, the old right there. Pretty much, we, right? We're looking, it's less than a half a block from here. Exactly, right? And it was that, I know that because I know John. Uh, you know, the, he was the owner or then managing or then it was there and then it was in another place. And so tell us a little bit. So when did you come on board? Uh, 2002. Was it still in the Ramada? It was, yes. Yeah, yeah. not enough room. Well, it, not just not enough room. There wasn't the ability for amenities. Right. Uh, you know, there wasn't enough parking. It, it yeah. really didn't meet the standards that, you know, BC was moving in with respect to casinos, right? Yeah. So was that in the early stages up to that point, casinos were not allowed really in the province and then they create legislation that created them? Well, how casinos kind of developed is that, you know, they were, you were allowed to have table game casinos that were sort of tied to uh, charities. Right. And, you okay. know, and then the province decided, I don't, I don't remember the year exactly, in the mid-90s to introduce slot machines. Yeah. And then that kind of propelled the sort of the professional side of the casinos where the casinos became more of an entity that you would see in Vegas and those type of areas, Correct. right? Yeah. Um, so once that was established, then you kind of had a, a business model that made the sense for, you know, large-scale capital investment. Yeah. And then as, uh, you know, as, you know, the casino started to develop, uh, you know, lottery corporation looked to uh, having bigger and better, 
And so you started to see the first phase of bigger and better casinos in BC, you know, right. moving from you know the smaller locations, uh, moving into more full service resort kind of complexes, more yeah. amenities, adding things like food and beverage, adding things like entertainment, right. adding things like hotels, uh, yeah. parking, all those kind of things. So that you know at the end of the day the the customer had you know more options. It was more of an entertainment experience rather than just a gaming experience. Now it's a big business. Totally. And, and the government is involved in it, then private individuals are involved in it, and uh, certain uh, amounts are given to different, uh, how do you call it? Uh, uh, charities. Charities, yeah. yeah. BC has a really unique model. It's, yeah. uh, you know, you've got a partnership of government, uh, yeah. which is the British Columbia Lottery Corporation, right. and private service providers. Right. Uh, you know, and then ultimately, at the end of the day, a portion of the proceeds made in the uh, gaming world are then also distributed to the municipality that they're hosted in, as right. well as charities through the community gaming grant. Yeah. Interesting so, model, right? Yeah, you know what, at the end of the day, it's, it kind of hits a lot of different areas, right? You're yeah. supporting uh, the government side of it, they're supporting things like healthcare and education with the funding. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on the charity side of it, it supports everything. Uh, gaming grants support so many charities in this community. Yeah. Uh, everything from sports, culture, recreation, uh, yeah. parent advisory councils and high schools. Yeah. Um, you know, so the dollars are used for a lot of good work within our market. Yeah, and then it has grown so much from just down the street here to another location then that was a little bit further into town. And that then wasn't there for all that long. I don't remember how long, right. but, but then the major investment took place when they built it in the current location, Correct. which is a big, big site. Yeah, right you know, on the corner of Highway 16 going east to west and Highway 97 going north to south. Yeah, you know, the, uh, you know, the casino, the Treasure Cove Casino and the prestige Treasure Cove Hotel uh, located at Highway 16 and 97, you know, it's one of the larger, uh, you know, gaming facilities in, uh, you know, in the interior in the north. Yeah. Um, it has all the amenities you would see in your typical sort of Las Vegas style yeah. casino, but obviously scaled back to our market. But there was a large jump, you know, a large jump in amount of product, large jump in amount of slot machines, bingo terminals, you know, add the addition of another hotel to the market, yeah. uh, show lounge, food and beverage. So yeah, it really kind of rounded out what the entertainment offerings were so that, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you know, the customers could get a better experience, but also it, it allows to draw people in from other areas uh, in order to come into Prince George for some, some entertainment value, right? Yeah, so now all of a sudden you got a facility there as you drive by it, I mean, that's a beautiful facility, the hotel, the casino, and they constantly building on it and it's getting bigger and better. So when that all started on that particular, when did they initially start putting the casino on that particular location? Because there was some thought about putting it on the other side of the street at one point and closer to where the car dealerships right. were, and then they ended up in the absolute perfect position on the one where they are now. You know, that location was always, a, you know, a premier location in Prince George, but it was yeah. a very, it was a difficult location to develop. Yeah. Walmart tried at one point in time. Yeah. Uh, there was a lot of resistance uh, yeah. from, you know, neighborhood and community. Yeah. I think the thing that the casino did exceptionally well during that period of time was really engaging the community, the neighborhood. Yeah. Uh, Which make, is critical. Totally, right? In yeah. a small town especially. You yeah. know, making uh, concessions so that 
you know, the neighborhood felt comfortable. Um, and ultimately, at the end of the day, doing a development that really took everyone's needs in, into consideration, just not the business side of it, right? Yeah. And that kind of created a partnership that allowed for the development to move forward. Uh, you know, this all kind of started around 2002. Uh, you know, the casino opened. 20 in, years ago. Yeah. Holy man. Can you imagine? <clears throat> I am imagining. Yeah. It, it's been a while. Um, and the casino opened in uh, 2004. Yeah. Uh, the hotel opened uh, shortly thereafter in the fall of 2004. And yeah, yeah we've been improving ever since. The, yeah. You know, the casino has seen, you know, a number of different sort of expansions. Yeah. Uh, the hotel, we just completed uh, our largest investment since construction. Yeah. The original construction of adding on uh, a whole bunch of meeting space, more restaurant space, uh, banquet space, uh, and adding on 45 rooms that have uh, kitchens, kitchenettes, and suites. Yeah, I did a tour of it. You gave me a tour yeah. of it. And uh, I was amazed as to uh, you know what you guys had done and make it so unique in terms of uh, uh, you know because you have that niche and especially in terms of you walk into the hotel you look at the rooms and and what you have to offer it's unique in the setting and and it's uh, so very very well done in terms of quality and and then as a businessman myself, I kind of looked at it and I thought, mm, not good timing, because that was <laughs> just probably to the worst possible, not your fault, obviously, but tell us a little bit about the timing side of it, uh, you know, like we all experienced COVID, obviously. Well, originally I thought the timing was going to be great. Yeah. Um, you know, we were seeing, you know, more competition coming to the market. Uh, you know, when we built the hotel in 2003, 2004, it was the first new hotel built in Prince George in 20 years. Yeah. And look how many hotels have built in Prince George Another since. Another five or six after them. Right. You <laughs> yeah, know, so. And a lot of those hotels, I guarantee you, they've, they've used us as the example of why to invest in Prince George. No question. Um, yeah. And you know, so we've seen our market grow in uh, quality hotel rooms, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, the timing of it was, you know, we're, we are trying to be different. We are trying to reinvest in our property, trying to... The beauty of about having, uh, you know, an independent hotel is we can be what we want to be. Right. Um, you know, living in the north, traveling through the north. Yeah. You know, understanding the north yeah. is different than your traditional hotelier that, you know, you got a model that comes from a development team in Phoenix or from yeah. uh, Japan, right? Yeah. We just wanted to do what fit the north and fit our customers, right? Yeah. So you know, thinking that we're going to add these different market segmentations to be able to compete in all these different areas. Yeah. Uh, you know, well thought out. The timing seemed to be on the right sort of path. Yeah. Uh, we got into construction and we were um, about halfway through and COVID. Yeah. And, um, you know, we unfortunately were in one of the highest impacted sectors yeah. uh, that COVID impacted. You know, yeah. I still remember uh, you know, the day I got the call on, uh, it was March 16th and it's, you know, close the casinos, uh, all the restrictions started to come into place. Yeah. You've spent, you know, so much time of your life building a business and yeah. in 24 hours, I saw 95% of our revenue disappeared. Disappeared. Yeah. We went to doing 5% of our normal revenue. Yeah. Uh, and it just happened overnight. Couldn't plan for it. Couldn't prepare for it. Yeah. Um, you know, if it wasn't for, uh, Quite honestly, if it wasn't for the banks being prepared to loan money. It affected money. all your employees. It affected everyone. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the hardest things that I ever had to do was do mass layoffs. Yeah. 
and you know throughout our sort of group we had at yeah. that time at that time we had probably 280 290 employees yeah. and we went down to probably 50 if yeah. not less yeah um and it was immediate we there was no yeah. way we could change it no way we could do no. anything about you it you committed yeah on the on the on, on the project because now you had it in place so disastrous if you were not able to work your way through it right, right. Well, and as you say banks became involved lenders became involved exactly yeah. you know construction wise we had already had the financing in place for it yeah. so we were kind of stuck yeah you couldn't just be like we're going to stop and use that money for no. something else it was no. you had to either finish yeah. or you were then going to create a new, another problem you know further down the line you had no choice right so we had no choice but to finish so yeah. you know we struggled through that time period uh, it was difficult dealing with contractors because obviously with the new restrictions and the COVID yeah. protocols, um, you know, we pushed it through, we got it done. We opened the, uh, the new wing to the hotel in September of 2021, 20, years, September, 2020. Yeah. Yeah. And then all of a sudden we get hit with a whole new rash wave of restrictions, you know, a yeah. month and a half later. Yeah. Um, you know, so we've been kind of playing this dance over the last two years of uh, we get a little bit busy and then we close. We get a little bit yeah. busy and then we close. Yeah. A little bit busy, then we close. Um, and so it's been a difficult time period, right? Yeah, no question. Um, you know, we've done better than some, you know, some of our peers. Yeah. Uh, Prince George as a whole has done better than some other markets. Yeah. But, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, you know, we went from a, you know, extremely profitable enterprise to losing yeah, uh, a tremendous amount of money, and an only way to whole bridge, new environment. Oh, yeah, an only way to bridge all of that was debt, right? Yeah. So you know we've gone back, you know, several years in our operation. You know, it's going to take us five, six, seven years to recover from COVID uh, to just pay back. But you still there? Well, exactly, we're resilient. Yeah, right? and and so that if I look at it, you know, and even then when I did the tour of it, and you, I think there was in. I don't think that was probably before COVID when you already were to about half and uh, you know it was fairly obvious to me that uh, you know the quality is always unique and especially in that setting and with uh, you know it's just not a hotel it is more than that right you know not because of setting but the, the way you want about it in terms of uh, developing the variety of uh, uh, suites that you had available in rooms and then the whole setting around it is something unique in Penzoids and I, I believe I have to tell you that because that's always the way I felt about it and then obviously seeing COVID and seeing all those that had hit in particular hard your investments and uh, of the of the hotel the casino and uh, uh, you know then took that resilience of being in a whole new environment within 24 hours, the whole world changes. Right. And, uh, you know, so, uh, but uh, yeah, at, at one well. So now, now we left the story between you and me about now you're in marketing, now meaning where we left yeah. about 20 minutes ago, <laughs> in, in saying that, so where did you, go from marketing the casino to the position where you are now in terms of a hotel chain 
called Prestige came into the picture. And I believe they were not here. I had never heard of them, but I believe they were in the Okanagan and some other people. And I always thought of it as a private company that had done quite well in unique locations, putting in unique products. Right. Well, you got a lot of questions in that one statement. Yeah. So, you know, part of it is, uh, uh, you know, how I got involved in the hotel was I was working for the casino at the time. Yeah. And, um, you know, always entrepreneurial in spirit. Yeah. I was part of the development team that was looking to develop at the Highway 16 and 97. Yeah. And, you know, really, you know, the city was putting conditions on the redevelopment because yeah. you have to go through a zoning process. Yeah. You know, city and mayor and council wanted a hotel as part of the development. Yeah. And at that time, uh, nobody was building as hotels. As a condition. It was as a condition, right. Yeah. And the casino operation did not want to be a part of the hotel. No, side, because different right? business, right? Totally, right. So um, I was, I guess, a little naive, but also a lot of very aggressive. Yeah. Uh, I had approached uh, the casino owner and said, well, what if I put together a group to build a hotel? Right. At that time, I was 28. I was just out of university for about two to three years. Yeah. I had no money um, and yeah. I had no hotel experience or development experience. Yeah. So, you know, all the qualities to be successful. Yeah. Um, so, you know, basically I went out and I took a, a Don Keller who was at RBC at the time. Yeah. Uh, went and got a personal line of credit for $25,000. Okay. And I paid for a That's market. a lot of money. At that time, that was a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. I, I paid for a market assessment and the yeah. feasibility study. Yeah. Um, and it came back that, you know, Prince George would be a good market to build a hotel in. Yeah. I then leveraged that. Did you do a business plan? Uh, yeah, did yeah. a business plan around that. Uh, but my struggle was that I had a bank prepared to finance. I uh, had a construction company prepared to construct. But, you know, the other remaining 12500 from my line of credit wasn't going to pay to build a hotel. Yeah. Um, so what I lacked was capital yeah. and, uh, you know, through, uh, being involved with some very fortunate, uh, you know, individuals in Prince George, you know, John Keller, Bryn Jones, um, you know, they kind of came across an opportunity with some other uh, gentlemen that I did not know in Prince George to really put together an investment group side of things, to be able to come into the hotel, uh, as partners with me to be able to provide the equity that was required. So, okay. They came on board, uh, they provided the equity, the bank provided the funding. Again, no hotel experience. But so, those the principles in Prestige? Uh, no, actually not. It wasn't. Okay. So at the time we opened the, the hotel. I'm a, I hope I'm not asking two personal questions. No, no, all no, good. No. It's okay. all good. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, at that time we were just the Treasure Cove Hotel. Yeah. Right? The yeah. Treasure Cove Casino, the Treasure Cove yeah. Hotel. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we built the hotel, we got it up and operational. Um, you know, through the years, uh, you know, that partnership group, partnership group that was four of us is now, uh, it's now two of us with uh, Prestige. Um, Prestige only came into the picture later in the game. Uh, okay. What it was happening was, um, you know, Treasure Cove was doing really well. We were, you know, we were successful. Um, I was looking at potentially doing a redevelopment downtown of the old days in. Um, yeah. That is, you know, where the new pool is going. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, Originally, I was working with Holiday Inn, and yeah. you know, part of dealing with an international chain is there's not a lot of flexibility in what yeah. you can build and what you can't build. Yeah. Um, so I started looking around for is there an alternative? Yeah. From a financing perspective, if you've got a franchise or a flag, as we call it in the hotel industry, yeah. your financing is easier to achieve, yeah. right? Yeah. Independent hotels are a lot harder to finance yeah. than uh, than a brand. Sure. So 
you know, through a staff member, it kind of led me to, uh, to a very, you know, family owned hotel chain based out of Kelowna. They've got properties in the Okanagan, the Kootenays, uh, Vancouver Island. Yeah. And, uh, you know, landed in their boardroom and I <laughs> still remember walking into this day. Um, you know, it, you know, being a family run company, there's a lot of history, there's a lot of tradition and walking in and seeing, you know, a quote from, uh, you know, from the founder, from, uh, Joe Huber senior about, you know, you know, his, some of his ideas and what he believes in. And I was immediately struck. I was like, you know, this is, you know, something that I can sort of amplify or not really believe in because I've got sons of my own and uh, landed in the boardroom. And uh, so the principal, one of the principals of Prestige Hotels is Joe Huber. And, uh, and so I'm meeting with him and all of his staff. And, uh, you know, we start the conversation and he starts the conversation off. I don't franchise and I don't go north. So right away, I kind of... That was time to leave. I was like, yeah, this might not turn out the way I want it to turn out. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, he listened to my story. We talked about hotels. Uh, we went for lunch. Uh, after lunch, you know, he kind of, uh, he stopped. And, and uh, as I was leaving, I shook my hand and said, you know... I may take a look. I think we should talk more. Okay, that's good. <laughs> so, um, so he basically said, you know, we should go for a tour of all my hotels. Yeah. And, uh, and then we can sort of see where it goes from there. So yeah. a few weeks later, I flew down. Uh, we then went on a, I believe it was a five day road trip touring all throughout the Okanagan and the Kootenays, vi- yeah. you know, visiting, uh, all of the properties that Joe and his family own and operate. Um, a lot of time in the vehicle, a lot of time, him and I talking and just yeah. sort of, um, getting to know him in, yeah. in the same man reverse. Right. right. You know, like they've, they're a very small you know, tight knit family corporation, right? You know, there's like, they don't franchise, they don't bring in people from the outside. Um, you know, so Joe and I really kind of hit it off. Uh, you know, he, uh, you know, became a mentor, uh, you know, was really willing to share his expertise, his experience, um, and just really wanted, I think, to see me succeed. Um, the reason we wanted to bring, you know, a flag or a franchise was to help out with that project. Yeah. That project eventually didn't go anywhere because of a number of different factors. And then, you know, looking at the marketplace and how it was changing, you know, competing with international brands now. So, so you're taking a holiday in? Uh, yeah, the days yeah. in, the days in yeah. project kind of, yeah. we didn't get enough traction with it. No. Uh, there was too many issues with yeah. dealing with a building that was extremely old. Yeah, but Simon um, Fraser Hotel. It was, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, built in like 1950, right? It was even, I came in in 65. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, totally, right? Yeah. So, um, so really, you know, that conversation led to, well, why don't we look at potentially, you know, franchising, not franchising, affiliating you know our hotel in prince george yeah uh, we also have a hotel in prince rupert yeah and did they already have a hotel in prince rupert they did not no no so okay they had yeah. no hotels north, north of, of Kelowna. no and neither did they want to no joe did, joe did not want to go north yeah. he's like i am yeah. not going north yeah um and so then you know i you know we were sitting in the gym uh, working out, he's you know he's a he's a fitness fan and, and works out all the time and uh, in a, you know gorgeous hotel in Sook, um, you know built right on the water. Uh, you know we're working out and, and you know he says to me you know I think we should do something. Um, 
and you know I became and, and our hotels became you know the first sort of outside group that they've ever kind of brought into uh, into sort of the, the family right yeah um, and you know we went on a trip about five months later driving through Smithers stopped in met with uh, with the owners of the uh, Hudson Bay Lodge at the time and you know, within six hours, there was a, you know, a partnership struck where we we're going to buy the hotel in Smithers. Yeah. So for a, for a guy that didn't want to go north in a very short period of time, there's three hotels all going to have his name on it in yeah. a very short period of time, right? Yeah. So, you know, Joe and Prestige have been, you know, really, you know, mentors, supporters, uh, believers. Uh, they do things differently. They're all, you know, it's all about, you know, doing everything, you know, first class, yeah. professional. Yeah. Um, but also doing things different. You know, when you were talking earlier about, you know, hotels is that there's two types of hoteliers. There's the developer, they build a hotel, they get the revenue up, it's a business, yeah. they sell it, yeah. right? They get their return. Yeah. Uh, and then there's a hotelier. When you're a hotelier, you really, you know, all those little aspects mean something to you. You yeah. take pride in your guest experience. Exactly. You know, you care about, you know, um, you know, everything from, you know, your, your towels to your pillows. It's a whole right? different culture. Well. It's a little bit more old school, right? Yeah. You're not going to sell your hotel. No. Right? You're investing in that hotel for the long term, for exactly. your guests, for your, yeah. your staff, for your business. Uh, you're not just trying to get the revenue to a point and then flip it. Yeah. You're not, you're, you know, you're reinvesting constantly. Yeah. Um, you know, so we have been reinvesting in our hotel. You know, we started, we did our first renovation three years into the hotel being open. Yeah because we wanted to upgrade it, improve it, right? Yeah. So we're always upgrading and improving. So yeah. what you've seen now is sort of, you know, 18 years of culmination of this is the next step for us, the next yeah. progression yeah. of how do we improve upon what we've done? How yeah. do we offer more for our guests? How do we, you know, really make their experience a resort? So, yeah. you know, really what I'm moving towards in the hotel is that resort style experience. So that when you come in the hotel, you get a great, you know, everything from, you know, check-in to dining to yeah. meeting space to the gym to the pool water slide, all those areas yeah. is something that, you know, you're going to get a great experience that you would get in a, a resort, right? Yeah. So it's just kind of a culmination of how it also sort of come to over the last little while. And the great part about it is that uh, Prestige Hotels is, uh, every hotel is unique. Yeah. Every hotel is different. Every hotel has a character that sort of fits the region, the yeah. area. Um, and that really allows you know, us to, you know, cater to our guests. We're not a, you know, roadside inn with the same box that you see everywhere. Every hotel has a different feel, a different yeah. character. Yeah. Interesting. So the, so then how did you, so now he, you are on board with mm -hmm. him and now your $12,500 that is left of your operating loan, <laughs> now you, now you're, looking forward and you're on the trip with Joe going west and stopping in Smithers by the hotel there and he's gonna buy it. And then next go to Terrace or well, Rupert? Well, we drove through Terrace and then we landed in Prince Rupert. Uh, yeah. And as I said, you know, we had a hotel in Prince Rupert, have a hotel in Prince Rupert yeah. that at the time was uh, the Prince Rupert Hotel. Right. It was previously a coast hotel. Uh, and then that hotel was being converted into a prestige as well. Um, you know, so just kind of, you know, really 
um, you know, working together to, you know, really create a, you know, hotels in the north that are all part of the prestige brand. Yeah. So, so what happened to Craig now? Now you're a partner with one of the very highly established hoteliers. Is that a correct word? It is. Yes. Yeah. And in uh, central British or in the interior of British Columbia, and growing still. Yes. And uh, so it kind of changed your whole life in a very rapid order. Um, it certainly enhanced everything that we were doing. Yeah. Um, you know, having, you know, their support and having their mentorship, you yeah. know, has allowed, has helped me get through the last few years, right? Um, you know, obviously. Especially getting through the COVID period, right? Yeah, yeah. you know, just sort of seeing what they're doing, seeing, yeah. you know, how we can improve upon what we're doing. Yeah. Um, you know, I still have a lot a lot, a lot of fight left in me. Yeah. When I first met Joe, I, I told him that my goal by the time I was 50 was to be a part of 10 hotels. I kind of took a little bit of a detour uh, with COVID. It kind of, you know, put us back a little bit, but uh, you know, we've got three hotels that we're part of. Right. And so I got to do seven more in the next three years. So we got to get pitter patter. We got to get at her. Yeah. So where are you going from here? I don't know yet. You know, I've got a few ideas, a few concepts that we're working on. Uh, you know, really love Northern BC. Yeah. Um, you know, smaller communities, uh, you know, yeah. doing things a little bit differently. Um, you know, I've had my eye on a few projects uh, yeah. for the last little while. Obviously, the last two years with COVID, we've just sort of focused on survival. Right. Um, you know, but as we kind of come out of all of this, you know, as yeah. opportunities come up, you know, we'll yeah. certainly take a look at it. Um, but for now, it's just been kind of get through and get stabilized. Right. Because um, really, we still haven't seen a stabilized year right. since, you know, 2019. Right. Um, and we are projected not to stabilize in our market or in hotels in general, probably until 2025. But there is daylight. There, there is, is daylight, yeah. yeah. It's and, certainly, you and, know. And there is no question that the, uh, you know, that the interior of the province, Prince George in particular, Rupert, and the, the locations that you're located in are growth, major growth potential. Totally, exactly. No question about it. So it's not, uh, uh, you know, that it will not come. It is not if, but when, and when rather, likely is sooner rather than later, at least in my opinion. Yeah. It's already happening. Yeah. Uh, we're seeing some upward trajectory on room revenue. We're seeing, you know, people start to come back. Yeah. Um, you know, we're still not back to a full, uh, you know, to everything. Some sectors still are still not traveling. Yeah. Um, but it, it's coming. At least, you know, at the end of the day, you're paying our bills, you know, making sure everything, the hole is not getting dug deeper. No. Um, and there is certainly light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. But I kind of find, uh, Greg, is uh, I fly a lot, uh, you know, that the planes are full now. Virtually all the planes I'm in are full. Yeah. Where obviously during the COVID period, I would go into Vancouver, the massive Vancouver airport, and I look around, there's nobody there. I'm the only one. And I never stopped flying even during this time, and I was lucky uh, that I didn't knock on wood uh, get COVID. Your, your story reminds me a lot of myself in a way. You know, the, uh, I'm entrepreneurial. Uh, you are very much so. That's who I am. Uh, I was entrepreneurial already when I was young. You know, the, I was not exactly a good student and, uh, you know, I failed grade three. Nobody fails grade three and I <laughs> failed grade seven three times. And uh, then uh, they said, okay, well, that's enough of him. 
uh, we get him a set of coveralls and uh, he can get uh, become a laborer in, in one of the furniture factories. Right. And then, uh, you know, the, uh, and then th there are some other similarities. Uh, I grew up, uh, I was born in 1940, so I'm 81 and a half actually. And, uh, you know, so we were liberated by the Canadians in April the 12th, 1945. It made such an impression on me that I knew from that point forward I would want to go to the land of my heroes, Canada. You know, when I grew up, I tried to go when I was 17 and they would, my parents wouldn't let me. And then I was drafted in the Air Force for two years uh, until the time I was 20. Worked a couple of years uh, in the forest industry there. But right. I always felt that I had failed because I didn't finish school really. And how could I possibly get a career in Holland? Because the first thing they ask you about, okay, where, where are your diplomas? You know, and saying, well, I did grade seven, three times, you know, which was, <laughs> was pretty good. <laughs> and uh, so I felt I had to start over. New from the bottom up. So I got, uh, I took uh, $150 and I had the dream. I want to build a lumber mill. I knew that it had to be in British Columbia. So I left Amsterdam. Uh, at when I was 24, it was $150, one suitcase, one set of clothes, three books. Couldn't speak the language, didn't know a soul, didn't uh, have a job. And knew that I wanted to go to Vancouver first. Arrived there in July of 65. Uh, talked to a German fellow, I couldn't speak the English, but I spoke some German. Told him what I wanted to do, he said, Prince George, that's where you go. So that's where the building sawmills and pulp mills and that's where the opportunities are. So that's what I did. Came off the bus, can I came off the bus here. I had $25.47, my suitcase, that didn't have a job, and then started as a cleanup man, lumber pilot, but always had the dream of a lumber mill. Even then started working for one of the larger mills in towns. Uh, started off as a cleanup man, within a year and a half I was superintendent, but that didn't go quick enough for me. Then I got offered a management job of a sawmill, Watson Lake Lumber in Watson Lake, Yukon. Have you ever been there? No, I haven't. Coldest spot in Canada. No doubt. 62 below for oh. a guy from Holland. You know. I was there for five years. Uh, I can add more to Again, was an entrepreneur, bought a motel. Why? Because it was undervalued. I made a deal. I bought, I was staying in a motel. I was still single. Bought a motel. Had to kind of do innovative financing. Uh, I made a deal with the per person that owned it that if I sold it, I would get 10% of the, of the sale of the price and then formed a company on the side that needed the 10% to get a loan from the bank so that I could complete the deal. <laughs> and, and so I ended up with the motel and then built that up and then uh, at the end gave it all away, went back to Prince George, it, it, it's all in the book. I'm, I give you a copy of the book if you haven't read it. So went back to Prince George, started over again became a cost account, uh, uh, sales manager for one of the bigger mills and then started bringing force products in July of 1975. Now this you find interesting. So I went to all the banks, I did a business plan and I still had the business plan and some of my, my, my management team around me said, can't believe the business plan. We're still doing today, but we proposed we would do then. <laughs> and and uh, so I dropped it off at every bank. What was the problem? Well, same as yours. I, I had lots of ideas, but no money. You know, so uh, everybody turned me down and then I went back and back to all the banks. And at the end, I had about two left. 
One was the Royal Bank and the other one was another one, CIBC, I think. And would go back again, made changes to my business plan. And then I had, then I focused in on the Royal. I had been there about 12 times and but I was always careful not to kind of turn off the guy and say, get out of my door, but I always made changes. And I always remember like just today. So there I was again with my business plan. And he said, okay, let me talk to John. John Weems was the manager. And uh, so, in, and all the offices were on the same floor, <laughs> not like they are now in yeah. the second, but they were in the corner and they had all these half walls. So I was sitting there, I'm, now I'm all nervous, you know, saying, but, uh, and there I heard all the way, and the, what was I looking for? $25,000 to start a lumber mill? Are you kidding me? That's what I was looking for. So I heard all the way from there, Give him the money, give him the money. <laughs> <laughs> so, and so then I had $25,000 and that's what started bringing first products. And then I wanted to bring in partners. Nobody believed in it, that, but I wanted to do it, that was not possible. So I stayed as the sole owner and still, although we have 10 or 12 companies and, uh, you know, we in the, the forest industry, we are in the warehousing and in, in real estate. Yeah. Uh, I still, I'm still the sole owner of the company, but it be, was by accident, not by design, but I like it this way, anyway. Uh, and uh, so, so that was the same. And then the key was for me to work very, very hard. And I'm a believer, uh, you know, so if you look in my office and they have on the wall, they have this thing hanging there that says $25.47. And then underneath it says attitude avoid the negative, passion, find something that you love to do and then become good at it. And then the other one, work, work ethic, but follows is success. Mm -hmm. And I deeply believe in that. And, uh, and then other mistakes some people will sometimes make that think that if you're entrepreneurial and it appears you're well off, then but they think that what you do mainly is plan holidays and bring money to the bank. Well, that's not <laughs> quite so. No. Wouldn't that be nice though? Yeah. So then another thing that happened to me and, uh, you know, so, okay, what happened, John? So you came here, I had to kind of, I felt I was a failure. And then, uh, you know, and then I started this and even when I was successful, I would have people already, I the mill being built and all of that kind of stuff. And, and I used to, people say to me, oh, you got a lot of stuff and you're very successful. I didn't feel that way. And, and one of the reasons was that happened to me when I was 58 and I allude, allude to it, uh, I'm gonna give you a copy of the book, sign it uh, as well. Then I was 58, I went into a store and for some reason or other, I picked up a book it said, driven to distraction. I opened and I started reading about it. And it was about ADHD. I am a classic example of ADHD. Me too. <laughs> so, not diagnosed, not had an idea until I was 58, you know, and, and then that book, <laughs> I must have been standing there for at least three quarters of an hour, and I don't read many books, reading this book, but, but the people already said, you're gonna buy it or, you know, so <laughs> I, I just couldn't. So 
and I took the book home and then inside of the book I wrote in Dutch. Now finally you know who I am. Mm -hmm. You know, why did I write it in Dutch? Because there was still stigma attached. There I'm building a company and, and I want to build more companies. What do I tell the banker? Oh, you know, I have ADHD and I think, well, the, you know, saying the guy's mentally has issues, so we're not going to lend him any money, you know, so that kind of a thing. It was still right. in those dark days yeah. about it. So, uh, and then it took me about five years until I talked to my doc about it, you know, and because I was ashamed of it. And, and the doc already, we knew for a long time. And, uh, and he said, <laughs> I was sitting there talking to him. He said, yeah, I think you do. <laughs> you know? And so, and then, uh, you know, so from there on in, obviously I've talked about it more, more uh, particularly in the, in the recent years, last four or five years. Right. I did a, a presentation when I got my doctorate of laws from the University of Northern British Columbia. I included it in my uh, presentation there. And then uh, I wrote the book, uh, you know, uh, Against All Odds. Uh, I included it in there, and right now I'm, I feel I have an obligation to talk about it. And so I wrote a book that comes out actually July the 8th, uh, uh, ADHD Unlocked. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, talking about it in particular, but it's a whole different approach to the book. It's not a medical book, obviously I'm not qualified to right. do that, but I talk about it, but it includes also the ideas and the concepts or the experiences others have that have ADHD. It includes those, uh, uh, as an example, uh, you know, probably one of the most uh, popular docs in town that is also an emergency surgeon, uh, you know, th that she had ADHD. Mm -hmm. and, and, but was earlier diagnosed so that it then allowed her to be taught accommodating you know, the shortcomings or the, uh, you know, the, uh, the challenges that go right. with ADHD, uh, uh, you know, so, uh, so that's, the, that's the book that I did about it. So, and I was going to just say that. So how do I look at it? I look at it as the superpower. Mm -hmm. I could not possibly have done all the things and I'm not, the book that I wrote against all odds is not about John, hurrah, hurrah, he's so successful. It's not about that. It's about falling down, standing back up again. And, 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 and in spite of all the challenges, still going forward right. and never giving up, you know. So uh, uh, that to me was important. And, uh, you know, so, uh, uh, yeah. So it's, uh, but it is a superpower. It allows me to, uh, you know, to do a whole lot of things and then focus on this or focus on that. And, uh, you know, so. Yeah, I know it's, it's amazing. I did not know I had ADHD until a couple of years ago, did a few online tests and it was my fiance brought it up and said, you know, you, you maybe you should look at that. And I just always thought that I was just a little different. And, you know, once I looked at it and started to understand it a little bit more, I was like, yes, that is me. Yeah. Um, and you're right, it is a superpower. Uh, if you use it for good, as we have, um, it allows you to do so many things. It allows you to juggle so many different balls in the air, uh, great in a crisis, you know. That's, that's what I do? Yeah, it's, it's great for us. And, um, you know, and at the end of the day, that's allowed us to 
uh, to have an opportunity to be successful in what exactly. we've done, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I certainly, uh, you know, I, I totally get it. And, and part about that is you can never stop. You can't no. really, I tell people, when are you going to retire? I'm like, ah, I'm not going to retire. No. I don't know what I would do with myself. Yeah. You know, I need to be constantly being stimulated. And then when and, I, and I do the same. And then when I get bored, if I get, if I don't have something going on, I go find something. Yeah. I go create too. something. Yeah. So right? for me is I, I'm wondering, but it's a successful business. If you make it boringly consistent, but then there's no time for me to be there because then I get bored and I have to, <laughs> have to find something else. So that's what totally. I do. It. But it was interesting for you to talk about it because, uh, you know, the, so what I did is first self-diagnose, you know, when, when I saw the book, Driven to Distraction, mm -hmm. very interesting. That all of a sudden, now I knew who it was. Then the other one, then I went to the uh, Google and checked it out. And of the 20 questions that were asked, I had 19 of them. And the reason that I didn't have 20 is because impulsivity. I've taught myself that I can't be like that because otherwise I would not be in business. So, but I, I would fit that one. So then I already know. And then five years later, I talked talk to my doc about him, you know, so, uh, but it is a superpower. Right. Now we have talked already for a long time and I, the one thing that I must talk to you about as well is that about the Kodiaks. Yes. And, and it's a junior football team that you brought to Prince George and obviously we have sitting part of the helmets of the uh, Kodiaks sitting here and the, the ball uh, for the Kodiaks and uh, so tell me a little bit about that. Well, earlier on, you were talking about passion, yeah. right? Uh, you know, one of my passions is football. Obviously, football has given a lot to me. Yeah. Um, but more importantly, it's, you know, I, I have a passion to, uh, you know, help young men, yeah. right? Um, I have a strong belief that sport is a great tool to teach, yeah. to develop, to help uh, people grow. And, you know, what a better sport than football. It yeah. teaches the ultimate teamwork. It teaches, it's open to everyone. All demographics, big, small, tall, rich, poor, uh, you know, there's really no limit to who can participate in yeah. the sport, right? Um, and so I got back involved in football uh, a few years ago. Yeah. Uh, originally, I was involved in football when I first moved to Prince George. Yeah. Uh, myself and Grant Erickson and Matt Pierce from, uh, from Duchess Park, we yeah. were actually the original. Uh, we started high school football again in Prince George in uh, 2004. So, you know, football's kind of been a part of my blood, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've got two sons that are, fell in love with football. Uh, my, my oldest son is just, just turned 18. He will actually be on the Kodiaks this fall. Yeah. Um, and so I started looking at, you know, football in, in general. And, and, you know, without a football team here for these kids to play with after high school, they leave and they don't come back. Yeah. They're going to go play somewhere else. They're going to meet a girl like I did. Yeah. And they're going to live somewhere else and yeah. not come back to Prince George. Yeah, you know, exactly. that's a resource that we're losing in our, yeah. in our town, right? Yeah. Um, we also don't attract that same player to come from somewhere else to come and, exactly. and reside here in Prince George, right? Yeah, because a lot of the people that are in the Kodiaks are at UBC, UNBC or uh, CNC are already here, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. So... You know, so started looking at that and talking with, you know, a lot of my football colleagues in town. Uh, you know, I began to take, you know, obviously, like we talked about the ADHD, I got a little bored. I, I really wanted to, to see something uh, on the football side of things. So started to put a business plan together for it, really took a business approach to really a sport organization. Yeah. 
Uh, I went down to, uh, I made a proposal to the British Columbia Football Conference in, I actually made the proposal on, I believe, March 14th, 2020. Okay. And then two days later, COVID hit. Um, and, you know, we, we were well accepted. Uh, we were uh, approved into the league unanimously from all other six teams. Because uh, really what we put together was, was a professional sports organization uh, that, you know, that were really uh, trying to utilize sport to help and develop youth. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, our Kodiaks program now, we've got kids all the way from kindergarten to adults participating in a variety of our programs. The junior football team is just one aspect of it. It's really it. That's the pinnacle of what you can get to. But, you know, how do we get kids active, involved in, you know, grade two, grade three? Yeah. How do we reach out to those kids that are, you know, maybe they're you know, inner city kids or low income kids? They exactly. can't afford some of those other sports. No. Football, you just need a pair of cleats. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, we don't leave any kid behind. So no. if it's not a matter about money. No. It's about you know work ethic, passion, all the things that you talked about. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, you know, so so junior football is the catalyst for that. It's a it's a national league. Uh, we play in the BCFC conference. There's teams in every uh, you know a city in, you know major cities in, in BC. We are actually from Prince George. We are the smallest market team in Canada. Yeah but we are going to be the best team in Canada yeah, um, because sure. Prince George rallies behind yeah. local, right? Uh, we're a nonprofit. Um, you know, we start our first season this fall. Uh, you know, our team right now is on the trajectory about having about a hundred players in camp. Wow. Uh, so, you know, we've got a lot of players on our team, right? But most importantly is that majority of them are going to come from Prince George or Northern BC. Yeah. Right. So, you know, we're going to keep these kids home. We're going to allow them to develop in their 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, you know, in those really formative years. Yeah. We're going to provide them things like scholarship opportunities, exactly. job opportunities, yeah. really like at the end of the day, uh, you know, and this comes from a football coach that I played with in, uh, in the 90s in Regina, uh, you know, really our role here is to develop young people. Exactly. Right. Football is just the means to it. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, my goal for this is to, you know, 10 years, 20 years from now, we look back and we see how many kids got a university degree, exactly. how many people are professionals in Prince George, yeah. how many, you know, are, are good fathers, uh, yeah. you know, good community leaders, uh, good employees, right? You know, yeah. that's really the, uh, the return we're going to get on this investment. It's one of the things that builds communities, right? That's, that is the edge of state. I look at UNBC, CNC the swimming pool, the, all those things that build the community, this is one of those pieces, right? You know, this is something that, you know, I'm extremely passionate about. And, yeah. you know, the, the great thing about it is, is I think it fits Prince George really well. Yeah. Um, you know, our plan with the Kodiaks is to expand it. Uh, football in Northern BC is, is the most underserviced area in Canada. Yeah. So we have opportunities in areas like Burns Lake, Smithers, Terrace, yeah. Rupert, all those areas, yeah. right? Um, and it's a late developing sport. So you can pick the sport up in grade 10, 11, or 12. Yeah. And you can go somewhere with it, right? Yeah, exactly. You don't have to have been on skates since four. You yeah. don't have to have had, you know, mom and dad that have a tremendous amount of money to be able to put you in all these things. Yeah. If you work at it and you're passionate about it, you can go somewhere with Absolutely. it, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I really believe that, um, 
you know, we can have an impact in yeah. our, not only our community, but communities throughout Northern BC. Yeah. And then what a better way to bring the community together, you know, in the sunshine, exactly. you know, hopefully three, four or 5,000 people yeah. cheering on our team, you know, yeah. have a couple of beers and a hot yeah. dog yeah. and really kind of come together, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the Canadian Junior Football League is, is amazing football. Uh, you know, you see uh, Andrew Harris, who just won the Great Cup with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, came from uh, the Vancouver Island Raiders. Yeah. Uh, you know, there is, uh, you know, players that go from junior football to the CFL, to the NFL. Yeah. yeah. Um, and someday we're going to have, you know, kids from the Kodiaks in the CFL or NFL. Absolutely. And that's all because of the work that For sure. everyone right. here has sort of put in, right? So... Our season starts, our home opener, our inaugural game, our first game is August 6th. Okay. Uh, and that will be at Massage Place. Yeah. Um, and uh, the schedule isn't released yet, so we're still working out some logistics with the rest of the league. Okay. Uh, and then we've got games all through, uh, you know, August, September, and into October. Our last regular season game is August the uh, 8th. Okay. Um, you know, in September, September 22nd is a big weekend for us. Uh, it is a weekend where we are hosting on the Friday a luncheon to raise money for our scholarship program. Okay. Uh, it's also a game day weekend. That whole weekend is going to be designed around raising money for our scholarship program to help these young athletes go to CNC, yeah. be in the trades, go to UMBC. Yeah. Really, what we want to be able to do is to invest in their future yeah. so that you know not only can they play football, but ultimately at the end of the day that we've got... Uh, you know, good citizens that are going to be able to give back to our community, you know, for the rest of their lives, right? Yeah. And you look for the sponsorships? We are looking for a sponsor of our, uh, of our uh, luncheon, which yeah. is our primary uh, fundraiser for our scholarship program. Yeah. So if we want to be <laughs> part of this, so uh, let me see, we got, uh, I think, $7,500 for you. Perfect. Awesome. Well, yeah. thank you so much. It's very appreciated. Thanks, Eric. One more thing, though, I have to talk to you about. Yeah. When I first met you, we were dancing Boogie of the Stars. <laughs> <laughs> and that oh. was uh, New Year's Eve 2019. It was, yes. And, and so, and that again was a fundraiser. And so the objectives were... You were involved, I was involved, and, and, and was the objective to raise $30,000. Mm -hmm. We raised $90,000 that evening. We did. So again, it shows uh, how you can have fun, how you can work with the community, and then give back at the same time. Yeah, you know what, John, you know, you've done a great job uh, giving back to our community. And, you know, there's an obligation as you become more and more successful to give back, right? Yeah. Obviously, you know, we gave back it's that part night. part of the culture, right? Yeah, you know, you, we gave back that night, you know, even things, you know, we did the charity thing for hospice this year. Yeah. Um, I might want to add that I did finish first. Yeah, and that's another very, very important one. <laughs> yeah, that I did beat Kyle Sampson's record, not yeah. by a little, yeah. but by a lot. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's, we have an obligation to do that. You know, with the yeah. Kodiaks, you know, it's yeah. not just about what we donate in money. No. Um, you know, the amount of time that I donate to, to, to the Kodiaks is, you know, you know it's, I say it's my full-time job. My real job yeah. is actually secondary. But yeah, yeah. it's to give back, right? You yeah. know, we want to make our community the best it can be. In order to do that, we all have to pitch in. And I agree with that. Right. Great. My pleasure. Excellent. Thanks. Thank you.